Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. I've been praying uh, about this message for a while, praying for sensitivity and... uh, a lot of things the Lord has, has helped me become aware of in my own life and um, some shifts that have to make take place and um, elements that are not aligned with him and uh, you know I don't I don't make everything about about me but there's certain things that God allows to happen in your life that makes you take kind of a an inventory of what really matters and what doesn't really matter and you know why do you put one step in front of the other and and uh, and a lot of those things help you re reformat and re prioritize and and all of that and so the Lord has taught me a lot and one of the things that I want to talk about today was <laughs> that was funny uh, was. Uh, was the, the, the value of prayer and the purpose of prayer and how my family and I have benefited from the collective prayers of God's people and how, how much, and again, I, I'm very careful to say, I mean, obviously God is good. We agree on that. But, but regardless of the circumstances of life, God is good no matter what he does. He's good. He only does good. And so if something happens in our life that we would declare not good, we just have to redefine what good means because God is always up to good. It's all that he does, always. And it's not always for our good, but it's always for his good. And what we find out in discipleship is whatever is good for God is good for me. And so if it's not, then I'm not aligned with him. And, and that's really the purpose of our faith is to walk in alignment with God, not to have a better life, not to get what we want. That's not the point of our faith. The point of our faith is to have the ability to walk in alignment with him. He is perfect in everything. And to be able to watch how, in, in my opinion, and again, I don't, I don't you know, uh, to be able to, to to be able to pray, and I feel like our church and so many of our of our of our friends and our community has has joined us in unity of prayer, and and again, if if God would have chosen to go another way, we we'd even told our kids if something were to happen, and my wife doesn't make it through even the surgery. Uh, it's it, God is good, and He's answered our prayer because that's what we prayed. That's what she had been praying. So, regardless of the circumstance, and I know a lot of you have had things that you've gone through that you've prayed over and didn't go the way you prayed. God is still good. God isn't good because He did what we wanted, but I'm very grateful that He's merciful. But from the very beginning, Donetta and I knew that we just didn't sense. People would say, well, I'm going to rebuke this thing. We never felt the freedom to rebuke it. We felt like the Lord was going to take us through it. Uh, and, and so being able to unite together in prayer and to be able to see what God did. And it's not that God answered our prayer. It's the peace that comes into the life of someone when they don't know what God's going to do. To me, that's the answered prayer. Healing is icing on the cake. But the peace to walk through fear and darkness is incredible. And it's available no matter what the diagnosis may be. And if, and if, and if because of, and I don't want this to sound, I just don't want it to be about me so much. But if uniting together as a church for a person that we all love 
If that can unite us together and we can experience peace, imagine what it would be like if our prayers were aligned in every area of life over everybody that we see. I mean, I've been a beneficiary of this. You'll never talk me out of a supernatural peace that comes when you know that your prayer family is lifting you before the Lord. You'll never talk me out of that. Now, I may dip back into fear from time to time, but you'll never take that away from me. But I wonder what it would be like for us to be united over lost people, over broken people, over hurting people who don't have the peace that we have. Broken marriages, broken families, broken jobs, broken finances, broken system, the, the, the addicts, all of the ones that Jesus came to for, including us. And just because we're not under the same heaviness doesn't mean we don't stand in need of the same prayer. Because what happens is we've sh- we shift away from seeing ourselves as needy. And when we do that, we no longer see the world the way Jesus saw the world. We start, we start seeing the world as a burden, as uh, people that are obstacles, people that are part of the problem, and we start pointing our finger. Well, I've decided I'm not going to get through the message today. So I kept trying to, I wanted this to be a, a one-off sermon, you know, just kind of get back into the groove. But I can, it, the Lord wouldn't let me. There was one thing I was going to say today, and it just kept getting bigger and bigger, and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to be able to, to, to do it. But I do want to give you what I believe to be a word from the Lord for us, for you, for me. And I'll be in Habakkuk chapter 3 in just a moment. But Proverbs chapter 15 verse 8 says, and I want you to hear the Lord today, not me. I want you to hear him. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. When the Bible uses the word sacrifice, it doesn't mean like our, our modern idea of doing without something or giving something up temporarily. It speaks of, of an offering that is permanent, something that costs us permanently, something that we can never have again. Something that we, it's, it's like this permanent forfeiture of something for God, for God's glory. Not because God needs it, but because we need to give it because our hearts are constantly in need because it shifts back to the flesh so quickly. And we often associate like sacrifices to the legal system. We, we think of sacrifices like, like the law of Moses when God started commanding this is how and this is when and all of that. But Sacrifice isn't limited to that. It, it outdates the law by 2,000 years. In fact, if you go back, you'll see Adam and Eve right out of the gate begin to sacrifice, teach your kids to sacrifice. Abraham, when he wanted to draw near to the Lord. Noah builds an altar. Abraham builds an altar, sacrifices, gives tithes long before the law was established. You see, it seems to me that when a heart is aligned with God, it lends itself to being a sacrificial giver. Someone who is, who is constantly evaluating what is it in my life that's standing in the way of a full heart devoted to the Lord. And if we don't from time to time take inventory of that, we're going to grow very apathetic. 
We're the opposite of that, very angry at the world around us. Sacrifices are not for God's use. We don't give to God because God needs our sacrifice. God needs nothing. But we need to be a sacrificial people. A a, a people who are constantly evaluating what takes my eyes off of alignment. Of what God has called us to do, to be. To establish this act of humility, of appreciation, of trust, and of love, and of dependence. It helps us realign. It helps us reprioritize. It it helps us to seek Him first, to trust Him more, and to find rest in Him instead of our self-reliance or our own comforts, which comfort us a lot. But just as external sacrifices do this outwardly, Prayer is the thing that God gave us and happens inwardly. Prayer cultivates a heart of sacrifice. I should say it this way. Proper prayer, biblical prayer, godly prayer. It cultivates a heart of sacrifice. So the natural craving, I'm convinced, you can go all the way back as far as history records, the natural craving of our heart is to work hard, to prepare, to become self-reliant or independent, and then seek and find comfort until the end. That's the goal of every person, naturally. This is what most people dream of, to work until I can afford not to. Be comfortable. Enjoy the effort that we put forward. And, and if we're not careful, we begin to think if that's the end goal, then God blesses, God's blessings in my life are the things that hurry me along to my goal. So the things that help us get there are, oh, I'm so blessed. What's that mean? It means I got a raise or I got a job promotion or I got a thing that I wanted. God is so good. God has blessed me. Why? Because he's helping me achieve my goals. And I'm telling you, I'm convinced that some of the things that we call God's blessings are curses that keep us from his best. And we are satisfied with so less than God wants for us. So God's interaction to us throughout all of Scripture seemed to point to the opposite of our natural inclinations. Sacrifice isn't a temporary token. It's a permanent decision. I can do this, but I'm going to sacrifice that because I want God's better. I want God's best. So we're tempted to think that a sacrifice pleases God. And so we make token sacrifices, things of our own accord, uh, much more than a prayer. And I'm getting there. I've got to get there. But Solomon makes it very clear in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 8, that the character, now listen, the character of the presenter, and he couches it with the wicked and the upright. But the character of the presenter, whether it's a sacrifice or a prayer, and that seems to be the equation there, the character of a person is so much more important than the act of sacrifice. So no matter what we give, it's much less important than the heart that gives it. So you can be sacrificial and your heart not be engaged. But you can also pray and remain unchanged. It's the prayer of the upright, not just the prayer of a person. 
So notice that it's the, the, the sacrifice of the wicked and the prayer of the upright. Like sacrifice is also sacrifice of prayer, sacrifice of my alignment with myself, with the, the alignment that I would have with God's will for my life. You can be a giving person, a sacrificial person, and we live in a world where the essence of Christianity, like Pastor Billy shared with us a couple weeks ago, it's like we've allowed the world to define what a Christian is supposed to be. And so we ourselves have begun to accumulate this idea of what a, of a Christian is, is, be kind, do good. And so we pat ourselves on the back when we're kind and when we're good. But you know, you can be kind and good and wicked. But it's the, the simplest prayer of the upright that brings God pleasure. Oh, so much more than the things you do, the things you give, is the simple prayer of the upright. And I wonder for which essence of Christianity have we settled for? Have we become a doing people that's hearts are not engaged? Or are we a spiritual people that are looking to align with God's presence. And as I, as I examine Christianity in America today, I feel like we're great at doing. But I'm afraid we wouldn't know Jesus if he visited our church. The character, so, well, how, how do you know the difference? Well, I'll tell you this, we are all wicked. If you think you're not wicked, you're wicked. Let me just tell you. We're wicked. We're wicked people. And we live in a world where it's like, you know what? I've already, I'm right with God. And so you know, I don't have to worry about that anymore. You're still wicked. If you read anything that Paul writes to the New Testament church, it's that the only thing that's changed is our status with God, not what we think and who we are. We're still wicked people. Thank the Lord we are positionally right with him. But that's his doing, not your goodness. That's his goodness shining through, not your goodness. So if you want to know what the character of your heart really is, it seems that Solomon seems to imply here that the character of our heart is manifested by our prayer life. Right? If you want to know who you really are, I mean, if you want to know who you really are, listen to your prayers. Poof. I thought if I just wrote checks or gave money or attended church from time to time and made some declarations. No, no, no. If you want to know the character that's being produced in you, what you're allowing into your life, just listen to what you pray about. Listen to who the central beneficiary of your life is. And then what, we're, what I really want to do eventually now is I want us to go over into the New Testament. I want us to just listen to how Jesus prayed. And see when he was central. See what he prayed about. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said in 1941. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures 
fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. It's the entrapment of our, of our personal pleasure that robs us of God's presence. It's like, it's like we think we're in a place because it's where we know we should be, but we've become blinded to our own circumstances. We've become blinded to our own obstacles, to our own lies. In John, Jeremiah chapter 2, he said, I remember the devotion of your youth and how as a bride you followed me in the desert. Now, of course, the Lord is referring now to, you know, the, the wilderness. But Israel was holy to the Lord. I mean, they were the, the first fruits of his affection. But you know what Israel began to do once God gave them what they wanted? They began to go through the motions. Did they sacrifice at the temple? Yeah, of course. Yeah, they, they did all those things. But they had also turned away to idols. They did what humanity always does and always had done. They shifted and they didn't know it. They shifted and they didn't know it. And they stopped evaluating because they were God's favored people. They didn't see who they really were anymore. They continued to offer sacrifices and they saw themselves as favored and they convinced themselves that they were good people. Even better people than those foreigners that keep messing everything up and always complaining about their authorities, begging God to do something about everybody else. Notice, go back into the Old Testament and watch how often Israel's problem was always somebody else's fault. Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord said, Because this people draw near me with their mouth, honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. So it's not from their heart. The reason they're obedient is not, it's just some law somebody made. They're just going through the motions is what he is saying. Jesus actually quoted that particular verse in Matthew chapter 15. Because this is the natural generational issue that we must protect against going through the motions. They had considered themselves good because they were better than the people they saw. But they never took into consideration is what, what does God want from us? What is the purpose? How do I align with his will for the world? And let me tell you, it's really easy for us as individual Christians to say, what does God want? Well, he wants his glory to fill the earth. Amen? Amen. And I can just about guarantee you, if it came down to it where we would say, what does God want? His glory to fill the earth. And that's somebody else's job. That's the pastor's job. That's the missionary's job. That's the sending agency's job. That's the church's job. And it's not my job. My job is to just be blessed. Habakkuk chapter 3. It's in that, that, that very vein that Habakkuk is writing. This idea, it's, in the, it's very, you know, he's, he's kind of late in, uh, in Old Testament history. He's one of the minor prophets here. And Habakkuk comes pretty late. 
in, in this particular story, but uh, he'd heard the history. He was one of God's prophets, and, and he'd heard all the stories of how God created and how God delivered and how God, you know, he, he, he knew all of the stories. And what God had done to establish his people in the promised land. And now they are in the promised land. They're also worshiping idols in the promised land. They're going through all of the motions, but they're not, they're not aligned with God. And now they're threatened because Babylon is knocking at the door. They're threatened by their own sin and they don't know. Babylonians are invading. Israel is blaming God for the situation that they find themselves in, not recognizing that this whole situation was because of their own wickedness. In, in uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2, it says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, your work, O Lord, I do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. It's a pretty powerful statement. Lord, we know what you're capable of. Will you do that again? Because we stand in need. You probably already know the context of Habakkuk. But warning after warning after warning had come through the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah that if Israel didn't change its ways, if they didn't repent from their idolatry, if they didn't align with God's will for themselves... Uh, they, they, God's going to bring them to judgment. And now that time has come and it's going to be really easy to look around and blame the, all the externals. And a lot of them did. They look around and they'd say, all oh, these Babylonians coming in to destroy us. These Babylonians this and these Babylonians that. And they're blaming the Babylonians or worse, they're blaming God himself. But look what Habakkuk did. Habakkuk began by looking around at his own people. You go back and I'm going to give you a really, really unfair um, what, uh, paraphrase of the book of Habakkuk. But you go back to chapter one and you begin to see, he looked around and he saw that, whoa, we're, we're wicked. We're sinful. We're oppressing the poor and the needy. We're perverting justice and the law is paralyzed to do anything about it. And so he cries out to God, God, why are you doing this to us? Why are you permitting evil to succeed and to dominate over the righteous? God said, well, I'm going to continue to allow it. I'm not going to continue to allow it. Uh, I'm going to put an end to it. It's the reason, it's the reason Babylon's knocking at the door. I'm done putting up with it. I'm the one that's actually bringing Babylon. You keep blaming Babylon. I'm the one bringing Babylon. They're going to sweep in. They're going to destroy everything. They're going to burn the temple down. They're going to go to the king's palace and they're going to burn it down. And, and, and my people are going to turn to the sword and they're going to be turned into plagues and they're going to be exiled immediately. Habakkuk said, oh God, how, how can you do this to your people? Use those people, those idolaters to correct the righteous. I mean, this is a real, I don't know, I, it's not sarcasm, but it's certainly a paradox of how Habakkuk is blinded to their own sin. It's like, we're sinful, we're taking advantage of people, we're in a bad place, but those people are a lot worse than we are. 
Compared to them, we're righteous. Lord, please play favorites. We would never say that. But we'd like to. So let me just say this. The Lord doesn't have favorites. Habakkuk 2 is God's answer. So they're going to be judged. The Babylonians are coming in. They're going to judge Israel for their idolatry. But all idolatrous nations will also be judged. So Babylon will get theirs, the Lord tells Habakkuk. Babylon, you don't worry about judgment. You worry about your own sin. I'll take care of Babylon later. God's going to establish this and this is what Habakkuk, or the Lord says to Habakkuk. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Individual sinners who see the need of a Savior, brokenhearted people, humble people, will be saved by faith. As they turn to God, they will be saved by faith. Listen, the earth exists for the glory of God, not the glory of His creation. Habakkuk chapter 3 is Habakkuk's response to God and how he moves from fear to faith. Verse 1 and 2, Habakkuk prays for God to move in wrath and mercy. I don't know if it was that quick, but it's like, God, you move in wrath. Oh, and, and mercy. When it comes to us, we want mercy. Those people, we want wrath. We know that wrath has to come, but Lord, when you give out wrath, would you just be like merciful? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Wrath and mercy. In verse uh, 3 through 15, he describes God's terrifying judgments on the nations. But in verse 16 through 19, that's where I really want to kind of plant down um, to, to, to finish, and we'll get there in a moment. But it's, it's the shift that I really want to talk about today, the purpose of the righteous prayer. And, and it's at the end of that where Habakkuk really declares his absolute trust in God. Verse, verse 16, though, uh, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept in my bones and my legs trembled. This is so beautiful. This is one of the best words in all the scripture. Yet, in spite of, even if, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pens, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior, the sovereign. Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to go on to the heights. You notice this shift this shift from, oh God, why me? To, yet will I serve him. You know how it happens? It happens through this dialogue of prayer. This, this dialogue of setting myself aside and seeing his, this dialogue of alignment. It, it shifts from looking at all of them and when, I'm telling you, when you spend time in real prayer and you see the Lord high and lifted up, when you see him, you immediately see the reflection of your own heart. That's what Isaiah saw. 
I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and I said, woe is me. But if you're not sitting in the presence of God, you're going to look right through him. And you're going to see all those people that's getting in the way and messing everything up. You're going to see bosses and you're going to see authorities and you're going to see wicked neighbors and you're going to see immigrants and foreigners and other nations getting in the way of our prosperity. They're not the problem. They're not the obstacle. This thing right here is. Because no matter what happens in this world, I can be at peace with God. I don't need you to be right with God. I don't need you to be prayed down for that. I need, I need to be prayed into that. My peace doesn't rely on our government or on another nation's war or on the gas prices. My peace is completely reliant upon what, how my heart is aligned with the heart of God for his glory in this world. And if that's what you have, then Satan can take nothing from you. What, what happened? I'm telling you, what will happen is if you start spending your life as a good person, as a moral person, as a Christian person, according to the world, you're not going to be facing the Lord. You're going to be morally good. And what's going to happen is you're going to eventually shift to one of two things. You're going to shift to apathy. And what apathy will cause you to do is to not care anymore. It's like me and mine don't care what happens. I'm going to put my whole my head in the sand and just wait it out. I'm just going to pay attention to myself. Or you're going to become very angry and everything's always going to be everybody else's fault. And you're going to become an activist. Boy, got a lot of those. Everything's an issue. Everything's everybody else. You got to believe the way I do. You got to think the way I do. You got to dress the way I do. You got to believe in my causes. You got to over and over and over. It just says it's anger. Let me tell you what's the remedy for apathy and anger? The presence of God. Because then we're in alignment. You can be angry about the right things. And you can let some things go because they don't matter. But you're going to be aligned with Him. Listen, if I've learned anything about prayer, prayer is not to move God. Prayer is God's gift so we can be moved. We don't pray so that God will do something. We pray that God will change us. It's for alignment. It's for surrender. It's for true sacrifice. It reminds me of Job who chapter after chapter after chapter, Job is trying to figure out and complain to God about circumstances of his life. And in the end, you know that God does not answer not one, not one complaint. But he says this, here I am, the eternal living God who created heavens and earth. Job, I am enough. You know what Job said? This is 40, uh, Job 42, verses 5 and 6. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. You see, when we seek God's presence, we begin to see things differently. 
We don't see the circumstance anymore. We see the opportunity for the glory of God. Our faith is useless without the clarity that his presence brings to it. It's his presence that we so often forfeit in place of the the feel good that we seek. And then we begin to reinterpret the circumstances to fit the, well, here's what's good for me, so this must be what God wants. The problem is not the evil out there, is it? The problem is the evil right here that we don't see. It's the way it's always been. We're always looking at other people's sin, other people's evil. Always looking at Babylon. Babylon's always the problem. Obstacles in our way. It keeps us blocked from seeing our own wickedness. We're not going to have revival just because somebody else cleans up. We're going to have revival when we do. And by the way, you can have a revival if nobody else gets one. The Lord is good. And he says, listen, you think Babylon's the problem? Actually, Babylon, I'm using Babylon to purify you. Babylon's going to be for your good. These terrible things that are happening to your nation are actually going to be good for you. Because you're going to see me. You will learn to depend upon me no matter what it takes. My glory will fill the nation. We don't like that. You can't see your own sin, so I'm going to show it to you. And yeah, when the Lord says, I'm going to use Babylon, God lists this series of woes. And then in chapter 1, verse 13, it says, You who are purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? He's like, he's like, he's like Lord, why in the world would you use this unrighteous people to purify us? And when it comes to us, I mean, you know, look at Israel. Israel's better than Babylon, and I'm a really good person here in Israel. It's like this hierarchy of how God's judgment should fall. It's like a ladder of righteousness. You begin to see your status just a little better off than those people who aren't where you are. But you ain't where you are where you think you are either. So God responds in chapter 2, verse 4, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not right within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 5, Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. What? Habakkuk is defending the righteousness that he's already spoken against. He's defensive about their sin. Yeah, but it's not as bad as those people. God responds here in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. He says, are you though? I mean, are you? Look around at yourselves and tell me that. You're believing a lie. You're full of comfort, pleasure, lies, greed, and I want to wake you up from it. You can, tell, you can tell how much time you've spent in the presence of God 
by how much of the problem is somebody else. You know, that, that ultimately is what our prayer should be. It's just to fall on our knees, on our face before the Lord and say, Lord, help my heart be aligned with yours. I can tell you, if we're honest about that prayer, it'll change most of the way we live our life. Lord, how can my heart, where does my heart need to align with yours? It's like the, the Pharisee who goes in and says, oh God, thank you for oh, how awesome I am. I mean, I'm a tither. I got, I got extra. I mean, I'm a good person. I mean, I, after all, here I am doing my good deed. In fact, thank you that I'm not like that guy right over there. Do you think the Lord hears that prayer? No, you know what he hears? He hears that sinner over there saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Whatever you do to me, I deserve because I know who I am. <laughs> True prayer always has to begin with humility. You remember that in, in wrath, remember mercy? You know where they come in perfectly? You know where I believe, if you can't find it anywhere else, I know you can find it here, where God answers this prayer? You look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Where in wrath, God remembered mercy. Where Jesus himself took on everything I'm talking about for us today. Everything that we've neglected, overlooked, refused to see, everything we're defensive about, every finger point, Every hardness and callous, all the anger, all the apathy, all of the things Jesus took on himself and went to the cross to suffer the wrath of God. And it pleased the Father to crush the Son, to satisfy the wrath of God that hung over our heads. And Jesus forfeited that mercy that he could have received for himself. He took on the wrath and gave you the mercy. To whatever benefit there was, in Jesus' death, he gave to you. I think of when Moses, when Moses began to align his will with God's will, God brought water out of the rock. When Joshua aligned his will to, the, to God, the sun stood still. When David aligned his will with the will of God and made his declarations, Goliath fell. Over and over you begin to see when Elijah aligned his will with God, there was fire from heaven. When, when Daniel aligned, there was closed lion's uh, mouths. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aligned their will with God, they were still thrown into the fire but the fourth man was with them, like the son of man. You have over and over people aligning their will with God. And, and I think of, of Jeremiah, even Jeremiah, Lamentations chapter three, where Jeremiah begins by, woe is me, everything is terrible. God is terrible to all of us. He makes us eat gravel and he, he's like a bear jumping out between, behind trees and pawing at us and, and, and life is terrible. But as he prays, and as he sees and as he processes, you know what he says? Great is thy faithfulness, O God. You know what Job says? As he prays, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Over and over, you even have Jesus modeling this. Not my will, 
but your will be done. This alignment that changes the way you see everything, especially yourself. Thank you for this food. Help us get a good night's sleep. Thank you for being so good to me. I just I want to challenge us this morning. If we're going to be anything more, if we're going to be what God has called us to be, we've got to be on our face before God and we have to say, Lord, help me see the world the way you do. Help me see me the way you do. Help my heart be in alignment with your heart. Our goodness isn't good enough. It's actually detestable. But the prayer of the upright. So I challenge you. Now let's challenge each other. Let's make a decision to be upright. To be holy people as he is holy. To make it our endeavor to bring his glory to every pocket of society, to every person. And may we stop pointing fingers and start, and start looking into his presence as we begin our day. Will you stand with me, please? Father, I'm certain that you have one will, one, one goal for creation. I mean, it's multifaceted, but it doesn't change according to culture or circumstance or, or generation. So we know that you are faithful and true, and we know that you never change, and so we know what you declared for your people then is what you declare for your people now, that your glory fill the earth. And Lord, as, 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 your, as, as the, the benefits of alignment when we start telling stories of lion's mouths and water from rocks and walls falling down and giants being torn down, when we start talking about being in fires and yet unsinged, those testimonies that you put on our lips, Lord, it's, it's strange to me how, how we pray for boldness. That's not my gift. And so if the Lord wants me to do it, he, I, he's gonna have to give me boldness. But your word says that it's perfect love casts out fear. We don't need to pray for more boldness. We need to pray for more love. We don't pray for love because we're not seeing it, because we're not looking into your eyes. And so, Lord, I pray that we would find a place of repentance today. That's, that's my prayer, is that we would repent. And today, I believe repentance looks like praying for alignment. And so Lord, you're, with your wisdom and your merciful spirit, begin to teach us where we are out of alignment. Where have we patted ourselves on the back and forfeited your presence? And Lord, help us to re-engage our eyes into yours. It's a big, it's a big request. And I know that you won't do it apart from our will. So I pray that you would make us willing. Help us to be willing. 
And over the next few weeks, as we flesh out what this could look like in our individual lives, I pray that you would give us godly people around us to encourage us. You've sent us warning after warning and Babylon is knocking at the door and we're still pointing at Babylon. With your heads still bowed and your eyes closed, I don't want anybody looking around and I don't want to drag on an invitation. But I know that there is conviction in the room today. I know that there are, there are some folks in here today who, who are feeling a pull to alignment. And you know it's a decision that you eventually intend to make Let today be the day. Let today be the day that you choose to be aligned, that your life be aligned. I know that you're immediately you start thinking about all the things that have to change. You know what? The first thing needs to be the declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's start with that first declaration and then allow his mercy to work out the rest. Today, if you, if you are willing to accept Jesus Christ as your substitute for the wrath of God, and you choose to walk in his mercy, no matter what it takes, no matter what it takes is better than an eternity separated from him. No matter what it takes. I'm not asking you to come and, and just to receive a candy basket. I'm asking you to forfeit hell today. Will you just step out and will you come and somebody will pray with you. I will pray with you here and, and be able to Accept Jesus Christ, the, the perfect wrath taker who dispenses mercy. Will you come today and receive that gift? Stop pointing at Babylon. Maybe you're here today and you are a Christian and you know, you know that you're saved. You also know that you're misaligned with God's best and you've settled for a lot less than what God wants. I want to ask you, everybody's heads bowed. I don't want anybody looking at me. Will you very quietly just slip up your hand and say, Pastor Blaine, will you pray for me? I know my life's out of alignment. I'm kind of tired of playing. I'm kind of tired of pretending. See that hand. Anybody else be honest enough? Just see those hands all over the room. I'm just tired of pretending. It's time for me to be what, I'm, what I claim to be. All over the room, hands. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus, before you leave, will you just come and talk to me? I want to show you just how simple it can be to walk in alignment. Now I'm, listen, I have to be reminded often myself. But if you're here today and you know you're out of alignment, I want you just to pray with me. You don't have to pray out loud. Just pray as I pray. Lord, Father, we just ask that you would cultivate in us a soft heart. At first, we repent that we have 
allowed our heart to be calloused in areas we weren't even aware of. So I pray, Lord, going forward, that you would just keep my heart soft. And the way, the way to do that, I know, is reading your word and spending time in your presence. Lord, please forgive me for being out of alignment. Forgive me for pretending, even to ourselves. Pray that you give me the wisdom to know how to walk with the strength of a deer climbing a high mountain, sure-footed and strong. And thank you, Lord, for your unfailing mercy that's new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray.